see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out after the spit. Spits him out. He's so deep. He's holding onto his rail. Comes out in the spit. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? What do you, what do you, you think, do a great Scott? Job. That's awesome. You in? Yeah, I like it. All right, I think cool. it's really good. Like I said, underlying music track, maybe we could change that out. I'm totally open to whatever, but... Yeah, the underlying music track would be the one thing where it just sounds a little kind of cliche, surfy. Yeah. You know, which to me is kind of like... I would much rather they're... I, I don't know. I guess the the rhythm of the track is pretty good. Like, it's got a good pace, you yeah. know? Like you, but maybe there's something that's that you can find that's different well that's what i was or thinking. that we can find yeah i'm down for collaborative um i was just thinking rock and roll rock and roll is what yeah. we want dude okay that's fine i bet there's an acdc song or something like that's got like a real yeah i'm down whatever we'll figure it out welcome to the show scott oh, yeah. bass that's right We're live dude welcome that's everybody brand new spit. intro spit spit we've got a new intro for the show spit welcome to we have spit. a website Right? We do, yeah. What's our new website? Well, it's not live yet, but we purchased the Spit Podcast and spitpodcast.com. I started building it on a separate platform because we need to obviously point the name servers to the right place and all that. Yeah. So, But I did build out the new site. Um, I want to – so like the site map is all – and the site's laid out. I just want to – we need to agree on the aesthetics for the site and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's there. It'll be ready in a week or two or whatever, less than two weeks probably. Okay. And so we have a new website. We have a new name. We're going to have a new feed shortly, right? Yeah. That we'll, everyone That's can point to. That's part of the new website. And um, this is David and I's new uh, iteration of Spit, the surf podcast. Yeah. It was funny. Um, we introduced the name last time we recorded. And then a listener Instagram messaged me and he goes, does SPIT stand for something? Is it an acronym? And I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't, but it could be. So I posed the question on Instagram. Do you want to see what people said? I'm sure I got lit up. <laughs> <laughs> Did I? Why do you think you would get lit I, I just up? saw a couple of them that I saw on Instagram and it was like, it was not, it was like, yeah, what what I read wasn't real pleasant towards my the, towards me. But. The only one that was <laughs> negative towards you was our buddy JP Curry said Scott persist Scott persistently interrupting thoughts. <laughs> that sadly is true, and I'm trying my best to not do that through not just here, but in my life in general. I was going to ask you: Is you get that feedback regularly? I do, oh. I, and it's the sign of a bad listener. It's not something I'm proud of. I'm trying to make changes to it. I there's always room for growth in our lives and this is just one small area where I could probably listen mm. more. I need to be in the business of listening and not be so pompous and expect that the thought that just shoots into my head needs to be thrown out right away, you know, and for the world to digest. Well, you have two ears and one mouth, Scott. So you should use them <laughs> twice as frequently as you use your mouth. Wow. That's right. what I once learned when I was in elementary school. And every report card that got sent home said, uh, David's super talkative every single time. Right. So that's what one of my teachers told me. Anyways, Chris Cote said, surfers pontificating internal turmoil. All right. I'm not sure if that even makes sense, but I mean, it makes sense, but I don't know uh, if we need an acronym. I don't, the answer is there's not an, it's not an acronym. Like you and I, no, it is, but I'm just saying that the answer the guy's question, right. It wasn't, 
we didn't bring it about as an acronym. So, um, surf podcast, intercommunicated tales, so pitted in tubes. Sal Mascala said surfers postulating intimidating theorems surf podcast in training, which was a solid little insult. Uh, stoked, <laughs> stoked people, intelligent talk from our buddy, Tony Roberts down in Costa Rica. And then one of my favorites actually, because this shows that this guy was a true, true fan of the show. Surf perspectives, insights, and Travis sham mockeries. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's, that's an old school listener. That's we had a whole, old, that, I don't know if you heard, you probably listened to a few of them, but back in the day we had a whole segment that was just Travis sham mockery of the week. Which we could bring back, which would be a cool thing. I'm right? down for that. Yeah. Do, let, let listeners know what a Travis Sham mockery is. For those who are pulling up Merriam-Webster right now and can't <laughs> find it listed. Well, it comes from a Bud Light beer commercial. Oh, it does? Yeah. The, the, I thought you created it. No, no, no. There was a Bud Light beer commercial where the guy's like, that's that's more than a Travis dude. That's a Travis Sham mockery. And there's some funny. I'm it's sure you three, could YouTube it. Yeah. Okay. It. It's three words. Travi- travesty, a sham, and a mockery. Right. Yeah. Okay. When those three combine, like yeah. when things are really, really bad, it's a Travis Sham mockery. I thought that, even though it's not in the dictionary, I thought maybe it had made its way into the Urban Dictionary by now, and you were pro- possibly credited as the author of that. No. But it's Bud Light, you say? No, no. Nothing I do is original. It's all been taken <laughs> from somewhere else. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so that's catching up from our previous show i know since then you were in mexico right can we talk yeah, about that sure yeah is that yeah. a secret well i mean i don't like to name spots but um but yeah i was in mexico and we got some good waves and um i got a fair sh- my fair share of right hand moments you know it was fun yeah how long were you there i was there for a week um we got some solid swell and um and you know glassy tubes and just kind of what the doctor ordered, you know, a week of glassy rights, killer fun sandbar rights, you know. You can't say where you went? Well, I mean, I was down in southern Mexico, okay. um, down in the Salina Cruz area. I don't, I, it's funny. When I was there, I wrote a whole piece for this show called whatever, because, you know, you lay around, you're on a surf trip, you read books, you watch, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm or whatever, you know. I love Curb, dude. I do, too. That's you do, just yeah. so insane. <laughs> Have but, you watched the whole series, or are you just no, working your way through? No, I'm working my way through it's, it. Where are you at? Well, there, you can download the Curb, um, Larry David's favorite episodes. So I did that. There's like six of them that Larry oh, David specifically that. picked. So they're from different seasons. So that got me hooked, and now I'm back in season one. Okay. And I'm watching, like, I think I've seen the first four of season it's one. Amazing. So. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I've hilarious. been told I'm a young Larry David. Because I'm a little grumpy, like... You know, I got, I've got like, I'm set in my ways, kind of. Yeah, so, you know, I think there's a little Larry David in all of us, which that's is why is. we yeah. all relate to it. Yeah, but totally. um, what a great show! Anyway, you can only watch so much of these things or read so many books. I'm reading a really good book, by the way. It's called "I Am No One" by Patrick Flannery, which I would recommend to those of us that are of the literary um, ilk. But so I finally, I'm like, God, you know what? Well, I forget how I got to it, but I wanted to figure out what my core surfing values are. Like, mm. what are my core surfing values? What are my core beliefs? And so I wrote, I just started writing, you know, I believe this, you know, and there's a value behind it and so forth and so on. And now I forget why I even got to that. You what said you were going to read it on the show. You wrote it for the show. Yeah, but there was something that we were referring to that I was going to. 
Uh, I was asking what location you're at, and you're like, oh. oh yeah. So one of my surfing beliefs is I just don't. I don't think it benefits anybody to name surf spots. Yeah. The only reason I would say, hey man, I was down here, is to is for my own ego to be inflated. Really? Yeah. I, my thought was listeners are surfers and they want to go to cool places that we go. You know, and I'm okay with that. And if somebody emailed me and said, "Hey, yeah. where did you go?" I would okay. say, "Hey, here I am." But I'm not in the business of publicly going, "Hey, man, everyone should go here. It's great." And I'm so I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, there's no upside to make a spot crowded. Like if I tell the listening public right now, "Hey, go here. I got great waves." Well, then it's going to get crowded, and all the people that go there are going to be like, "Oh, that's a bummer. It's crowded." Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, we're dealing with a limited resource. So there's this fine line there with that belief because. I'm not the guy that's like, you know, grumpy guy. I want everyone to enjoy the surf and enjoy the waves that I enjoy and, and let me enjoy the waves that you enjoy. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. but I just don't think that because it's a limited resource, half the fun is going and finding it yourself or talking to friends about where they went. And, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah. I just don't think it's I, – I just think that it's not – in. again, I kind of feel like why would I tell you exactly where I surfed? I think saying Southern Mexico and Salinas Cruz area is adequate. Yeah, I think that covers it pretty good. You yeah. know, like that narrows it down quite a bit. I you agree. know, go there and you'll get some fun waves. Well, you know? it, and you can find out for yourself. But it's also more information than just saying Mexico because it could be Cabo or it could be ba- like uh, yeah. Rosarito. It could be anywhere. You know, it could be uh, Mexican Pipeline, you know? So... Yeah, and I mean, I think out of respect to those people that surf down there, and and you know, it's just look, it's not rocket science. Everyone knows yeah, the no, spots, but but it but it matters because now we know you're surfing. Well, I guess you already said it, like right hand sand point barrels, which yeah. is different than surfing, uh, you know, whatever a different spot. Puerto Escondido. Or, whoops, <laughs> spot. Um, but so you got you got shacked. Yeah, I got one specific day that was like kind of conveyor belt of tubes, you know, where it was just like, get one, come out, get another one. How you know, sick boom, was boom. it? It was pretty good. It was like three to four feet with five foot sets. You know, it wasn't huge, but it was low tide and draining and it was breaking kind of behind the rocks, kind of like snapper. So there was only really me that was going back there. Like, really? Like the rest of the crew, there was like six other guys and they would kind of sit on the end section. Yeah. And... I was. I even paddled up to him. I'm like, hey, if I'm going too deep, if I'm catching too many waves, let me know. Like, I don't, you know. And they're like, hey, man, no one else is going up there. Go ahead, you know. They just couldn't make that section. They just didn't want to because, yeah. you know, there's a, there's actually no risk, but it looks risky. Like, if you wipe out in front of the rock, it kind of just pushes you back out to sea, you know. And they weren't just qualified, you know. They mm-hmm. weren't quite good enough or whatever. They didn't have today. They didn't the feel like doing it or whatever, but. So anyway, there was this snapper rocks type moment for about an hour that where I was just doing laps, just you know, and I got you know I probably got two or three or four really good tubes and Sweet. some closeouts and some wipeouts and all of that stuff too. Makes know. it all worthwhile. Yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty I, good. I don't know if listeners fully understand or listeners who don't really uh, go on surf trips or maybe aren't as deep into it as you and I are, but. You look at maybe you're like watch the Fiji comp or you look at surf videos and you just assume you're like, oh, you're going to a tropical location where there's barreling waves and you're wearing trunks. Oh, you're going to get barreled all week long. It's not really how it works at all. It's a tremendous amount of 
preparation to get on the trip, firstly. Then once you're there, obviously dealing with airports, board bags, but then once you're there, you don't just paddle out and get barreled. It's like, maybe there's a swell, maybe there isn't. Maybe the swell direction's wrong. Maybe the wind's wrong. Maybe the tide's wrong. You really have to be in the right place at the right time. And then when you are in that position, you have to actually deliver on the goods. And to surf head high barreling waves is very different likely than surfing your home break. So it's like, maybe it's kind of gnarly or maybe it's bigger or like uh, steeper than you're used to or whatever. And then you fall a couple of times or you kind of get injured. And it's like to actually get the couple, like you said, it, it all dwindles, came down to one hour where you got three waves. So all of the pre- pre- yeah. prep and planning really comes down to maybe that three waves took place in 30 seconds. So it all comes down to 30 seconds, you know, which is gnarly. Yeah. Um, but it makes it all worthwhile. Those three waves make it worthwhile. Yeah. And, and, and of course there's the other experiences behind it all, which you know about like the cultures that you learn about and the people that you meet and the engagement with the region, you know, physically, geo, yeah. geophysically, geopolitically even, you know, like yeah. the stuff that you learn about. So, but yeah, you're right. When, if you boiled it down, not you know, eight seconds of tube time. <laughs> yeah, it's a low ROI. But what that kind of you talking about the cultural experience of it uh, dovetails with what you were saying earlier, which is go do it. Like that's part of the adventure and part of the return and part of the reward is the entire experience, not just the eight seconds of tube time. Yeah, you know, and, and maybe this is the a good time to segue into these core surfing yeah i'd love to hear that i have and and again i i think that um that these are sort of moldable too like i don't know if um anyway i'm i'd be interested to hear what you and what even more importantly the listeners have to say about these and look these are my opinions i'm not saying that this is for everyone you can certainly have different beliefs and values and that's fine i'm not trying to imprint these on everyone and say this is the way it must be that's certainly not the case this well, is just how i feel about i would this. love to hear them. i've never even thought about what my core surfing values are to be honest with you so i'd be curious to okay hear. well i'll try to go through them and we can and if it gets too monotonous or boring we just change channels a little bit but okay so my first one is that i believe that surfing and by the way these might seem really obvious too but these are my core surfing values. i believe that surfing is above all else about having fun and partaking in the fun, I benefit physically from the exercise and spiritually from being close to and a part of the powerful and inspiring oceans of the world it is the only time I ever really enter into the food chain. So that's my number one belief, core surfing value. I would agree with it. Number two is, and this speaks to what we were talking about, I believe that publicly naming surf spots on Instagram or Facebook or in movies or wherever the public might digest the information is wrong. Surf spots are a sacred resource, and as such, they require protection. And in general, more crowds, more people not good is not good for a natural resource. There's a limited number of waves which break each day at that spot. Now, there are exceptions when a spot needs political action, and stewards of that surf spot have asked for attention to be brought to that surf spot. That's fine, but I just feel like, for me, when I find myself naming a surf spot, and this is just me, it's usually for my own self-interest, for ego or pride or self-esteem or validation as a surfer. So I would ask everyone to ask themselves, why are you naming that surf spot? Yeah. My third one is that I believe that surfing without a leash makes me a more accomplished surfer. I swim, my sense of the surroundings is heightened, I'm more tuned in. 
if more surfed without a leash, our collective surfing experience would be improved. Now, I know there are exceptions to that, obviously. Controversial statement. It's just my core belief. Well, it's absolutely true, and I agree with it, but obviously it presents um, safety issues depending on where you're at. Right. I, there's, yeah. I mean, you know, there's definitely exceptions to that. But I'm on board with you. But in general, if I personally, and I'm not saying everyone, if I personally can surf without a leash, I will because it makes my experience better. I agree. Me personally. Number four, I believe that kindness, tolerance, open-mindedness, and love should be my overriding attitude when in the water. Where often, sadly, selfish character defaults take over. Most of my spiritual growth comes from facing my selfishness in the water. Number five, I believe that surfing should be taught one-on-one by a friend or a close acquaintance. Perhaps a father or mother or brother or sister, a relative. So that the intricacies of the culture can be excavated, taught, and passed down over a long period of time. I do not believe the vast majority of surf schools meet this ideal. I believe that surfing is a gift, and I'm grateful for it. I believe that every surfer should travel the world in search of waves and adventure, thereby broadening their understanding of their fellow man and the accompanying cultures, geopolitical nuance, and varying lifestyles. I believe that the surf industry consists of manufacturers of products for riding waves. Surfboards, wetsuits, fins, board shorts, wax, leashes, hard goods in general. Custom surfboard building by small individual board manufacturers is the heart of the essential surf industry. And regardless of dollar amounts made, market cap reach, or IPO number made by non-essential surf products, they are not the essential surf industry. I believe that by law, publicly held companies place surfers' interests behind their shareholders and that sometimes those two interests are congruent, but that is not always the case. I believe that my surfing style is my surfing statement and that my surfing statement has very little to do with my choice of clothes, shoes, sunglasses, or whatnot. I believe that surfing is dancing expressive and free without the confines of arbitrary subjective parameters and much more than a subjective competitive sport. I believe that Tom Curran is the greatest way. <laughs> Am I contradicting myself? No, as this is going on, you're getting, I didn't realize you had the depth that you have and the, um, I don't know, sentimental heart that you have I'm an old this guy. is it went from like making political statements about companies to now like talking about dancing by the seat of your soul and yeah. expressing oneself through the dance preferably to blue sky by the almond brothers yeah i had no idea <laughs> scott this is heartwarming i'll just do one more and we'll stop it there because well if it's about current please by all i means. believe tom Curran is the greatest wave dancer of them all wave dancer <laughs> bethany hamilton is the most inspiring surfer of all time and Kelly Slater is the greatest competitive surfer of all time. I'll wow. leave it there. Wow. I could wow. go on, but you start to, I start to get out of core values and into opinions at some point. So. Deep, Scott. Anyway, really, really deep. I'd like to hear yours at some point. I'll think about it, actually. I'll make a note to maybe next show. And show I'd like it. the listeners to chime in on that stuff, too. By the way, we do have spit email. We don't have them set up yet. But Dude, we'll, what's your old email? Uh, you can reach me at um, the best one actually is Scott at surfboardshow.com. Cool. I'm hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. 
So if anybody wants to send their core values, yeah, I'll definitely put some time into it and think of mine. Um, I agree with you about the current, maybe the Bethany and definitely the Slater thing for sure. Who's more inspiring than Bethany? I would just have to think about it. I agree with you. She totally is, but I would have to put some more thought into it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people. Inspiring? Yeah. I mean, it's probably not a lot of people. It's actually probably a pretty short list, but there's a couple. There's a couple that I would think about before I threw that out there, but she is for sure inspiring. I don't want to take anything away from her. Um, awesome, dude. Well, I'm psyched that the trip went well and that you got shacked. What board were you riding down there? I mostly rode a Matt Biolis made me one of these Shane Beshin rock ups. It's like a step up. It's about, it's 6'2", 19 and three quarters. It's two and five eighths thick. It's a round tail. Um, awesome. A three fin. It's got two stringers down the sides, nothing in the middle. And it's got some carbon fiber, um, like nose inlays and, mm. and tail wraps. Mm. And I've had it forever and it works insane. I broke the nose off down there, but because of the carbon fiber it kind of stayed and some the nose is creased basically but yeah, um you could fix it i, I just rode it like i didn't even fix wasn't it. taking on water or anything no nah, maybe a little bit okay. but whatever yeah um board's old you know what's funny too like listening to you read through some of those and kind of some of the conversation we opened the show with um the show's kind of like therapy dude when you go through everyday life and you just kind of comment on things or talk with friends you're never forced to relive that conversation but based on what we do here and then instagram comments and stuff like that people call us out on stuff and it forces you to kind of think about it and um and then obviously prepping for the show by preparing something like that forces you to be a little bit more interest introspective and uh i think it's good yeah i'm i'm a work in progress and i'm extremely um uh, there, there needs. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Let's put it that way. Well, you know, you know, <laughs> that was a creepy there's, laugh. I know dude. that was creepy. That was a creepy laugh. That needs to be on the intro. <laughs> I will. I'll put that on the intro. <laughs> Amazing. Super creepy. creepy. We could just do drops all this whole show. You could make a whole creepy Nicolas Cage laugh coming at you. Um, oh, by the way, yeah. Here I am interrupting, but no, no, no. This go. brings up a point. Somebody goes, "Man, your voice." Somebody down there goes, "Your voice sounds." Has anyone ever told you your voice sounds like Kevin Costner? Really? Yeah, and I'm like, no, but somebody thinks I sound like Nicolas Cage. And they're like, oh, don't get that. But. That's funny. Are they a listener of the show? No. Oh. Because um, that's the thing. If they only hear your voice most of the time, then you could draw those associations, you know? Um, the other thing I was thinking about when you were reading those is um, I've often felt like surfing is arguably the best metaphor for life that exists. Like... These little microcosm challenges that you're faced with while surfing represent these greater truths in life, you know, and um, where there is, I feel like in life, there is a grand design, whether you recognize it or not in the moment, you'll reflect on it later in life and just be like, oh, wow, hard work ethic and not taking the shortcut really pays off in the long run or whatever. And when you're surfing, you learn those things instantly that there's no shortcut. There's no, um, learning how to do the maneuver before, you know, before you learn how to bottom turn or something like that. And so you learn the, and you're dealing with mother nature, you're enveloped in mother nature and you're forced to take your beatings and that sort of stuff. So there's just this like 
really poetic, beautiful aspect to surfing that if you embrace it, you can kind of learn greater truths, not only about life, but about yourself, which is what you're talking about. You know? yeah. And I don't think anybody's ever really fully represented that or explained that, articulated it. I didn't right now, really. But sometimes great film kind of touches on it or a, a great article or even a photograph kind of represents it sometimes. But it's never fully been excavated in the way that I've kind of felt that it exists. I haven't even fully thought it through in my head yet. I'm just kind of working through it. Yeah. But good stuff, Scott. Thank you. Um, hey, hard. Want to know what else hard... I worked on? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Well, we, you and I, and the listeners know this. We've discussed at length about ways to improve the WSL. And so I took what we've already talked about and I sort of boiled it down to what the end user, the fan, what David and Scott and all of the listeners of Spit. Um. I basically I looked at the WSL from that vantage rather than from specifically, um, you know, like a marketing standpoint. Like, okay, that sounds good, but can we sell it? I didn't. I just took dollars off the mm-hmm. table and I go, "What's the ideal situation?" Agreed. And the ideal situation is the new World Surf League, where the motto is "The Surf Dictates Our Future." That's the marketing blurb. The surf dictates our future. We have the world's greatest surfers competing in the world's greatest waves. And it's broadcast to the world via the World Wide Web. Notice the word world used a lot. No, but I agree. That is embrace that platform. And here's how it works. There's nine events which focus on quality waves wherever they may may be found within a given month. So it's not a regionally set up, so to speak, uh, tour. The tour is more or less dictated by swell and not by time. Tour infrastructure, logistics, operations are to be rethought and retooled so as to be as light, nimble, and flexible as possible while still maintaining a quality end-user internet broadcast. Bells and whistles are limited for the sake of quality surf and the nimbleness that we've talked about. I agree. The production team needs to be lean and mean. There will be an IT chief. The broadcast back-end labor needed to set up the broadcast. A production director. Broadcast talent. Only times four. Two on, two off. And a communication specialist. When the swelling winds are more or less ideal, the call is made and the first heat runs within a day. Perhaps two days. And the entire event can take place in one day, but may need two days. Mm -hmm. Now, the season goes like this. From January 15th through February 28th, we focus on the first event at Piahi, paddle in at Jaws. Now, given the vagaries of the swell situation, we may have the event at Honolulu Bay. Or in that six-week period, it might be at Sunset Beach, or it might be at Mavericks. We focus on the concept of Piahi, but wherever we need to pull, we pull. Interesting. And by the way, this doesn't mean that the staff has to stand by on Maui. They're standing by at their homes in Orange County and L.A. and Santa Monica or whatever. And when it's time to go, we go. So there's the T&E cost is not what you think. Mm-hmm. And all of those places are um, relatively close to one another. That's within a five-hour flight of one another. Exactly. It's not necessarily five hours from South Africa or Australia. Right. But... There are some limitations to the concept. Depending on where you're But in that six-week period, we anticipate a large wave event somewhere in Hawaii, preferably Jaws. 
And it could be as far away as Mavericks. But if you're a pro surfer, you're already in those locations anyways. You're, you're probably in Hawaii at that time. Exactly. So. Um, by the way, there's only, right now I have it, so there's only 12 surfers in the, on the tour. Love it. In March, you're Gold Coast-centric, focusing on Snapper or Kira. But if something blows up somewhere else in Australia, you go. Yep. In April, the focus stays in Australia with Bells, Winky, Pop, and Margaret River as the focus. But again, P-Pass could blow up and we go to Ponape. In May, we do Tavarua. We do a month in Tavarua. We wait for its cloud break. In June, we go to Chopu. We spend a month in Tahiti. Not us. We don't spend it. We spend it wherever, but we go when we see a swell. Yeah, the waiting periods. The waiting periods a month. July, J-Bay. August, Puerto Escondido. The whole month of August, we wait for a massive swell at Puerto Escondido. September, we focus on lowers. But again, who knows? It could be good in Peru, Chicama. Sure. October, we're off. Okay. November, we're off. In December, the last event is Pipeline. Obviously. And the first event in at Piahi, the event in J-Bay in July in the middle of the tour, and the last event are majors. We have three majors, and they're worth more points, and they're worth more dollars. And again, all events are subject to relocation, are dependent on the quality waves to run. The schedule is subject to change. The swell dictates our future. There's also this cool thing called the confessional booth, where because we've sadly, perhaps, although it's not yet in stone, we may have gotten rid of Rosie, although I wouldn't mind Rosie being one of the four. No, she's back. I know, but I'm saying there's only four in the booth, and we have no field reporter. Uh, we have to trim. Well, so we might just keep Rosie on. She might be one of the analysts. She, she's actually in the booth the last couple of days. Killer. Kaipo was there for the first couple, and now he's gone, apparently. I don't know what happened to him. Um, maybe he had an emergency at home, but it seems like Rosie's filling in for Kaipo now, sitting with Blakey. Anyways. Perfect. There's a little yeah. There's a little romance brewing there. No, she's married. They're both married. <laughs> that doesn't mean there's not romance brewing. I'm oh, just saying. bass. No, no. I don't Open want up that. the gossip no, no, section no, of the show. No. But it's good for the broadcast for that perception to be there. It's like, she's great for the broadcast. It's no like the, two, the, 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 the uh, girl and the guy on ESPN Sports Center, Jamil and Michael, they have a, like a little, you sense that there's some yeah. sparks that fly. That's hey, good for the broadcast. Those two are... Uh, just Both flirt a little. Amazing looking people with great personalities. So Let them it's flirt. Bound to happen. Yeah, it just seems like flirting. Anyway, so they have a confessional booth report. And what happens is after each heat, the competitor is required to go into the broadcast booth, a, a small little booth that's shielded from everyone. He puts on the headset and he looks into the camera and he gives his or her breakdown of the heat, any thoughts he or she may have. Now they have to do this or they get fined. And they need to speak for a minimum of one minute or a maximum of five minutes. If all is quiet, then questions will pop up on the from the on the competitor screen. Promptings. To promptings, and of course, if they say anything negative, like Bobby Martinez style, they'll be fined. But the idea is to let them open up, and if they don't, then um, they can say anything they want. By the way, they can talk about the meat pie they had for breakfast. Sure. This is so a, this that's is a the confession. full reality TV concept right here. That's what they do on reality TV. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, it, I, I mean, saw it, it on is. the Dan Patrick show where they go be, after oh, the, they go to really? commercial, and then one of the guys goes into the 
into what they call the box. It's like the hockey yeah. penalty box. And they put on the thing, and the guy goes, oh, Dan was a dick in that last segment. I didn't like the way he said this. I didn't like the way he said that, blah, blah, blah. Hilarious. So that's the idea is to get these guys. Because I think when somebody puts a mic in front of their face in the public and the camera's on them, they kind of just spit out the same kind of either it puts you into a different headspace exactly. than when you're in a room by yourself but i mean so specifically the real world back in mtv early days that's what the show was put these people in a house together and then three times a day go put sit them in the confessional box and they look into a camera and they talk and that's how those shows were created and that's what the real housewives does today but now it's with producers and it's lit and all that sort of stuff but it's the same exact concept so i'm i i agree it's a great concept it's proven, actually. Perfect. The competitor confessional. Yeah, I love it. Each guy has to go in to winner and loser. Mm-hmm. So there's 12 guys. There's five judges. The commissioner is the sixth head judge. Um, it's pretty lean and mean and nimble. And the T&E, again, I'll, I'll reiterate, the T&E side of it, where you think, oh, the entire staff has to wait for a month in Tahiti. That's going to get expensive. That's not how it goes. Yeah. And obviously, the real bread and butter of this thing is we need a solid forecaster you know kevin wallace from Surfline, mark sponsor from storm surf you know even look there's guys like parsons and even myself or you or a lot of guys that are into forecasting that can pull it off but you would look to somebody to really be sort of the guy in southern california or wherever it is that that really kind of makes the call because what's going to happen is everyone's going to be watching swells around the world and going oh they should go down there and do it Mm -hmm. you know Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, they're already doing it, by the way. Kelly is right. nonstop doing it. Right, exactly. So now he's just bringing the crew with him instead. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of going, I'm not going to Rio because Tavaru is pumping, right. they all go to Tavaru right. and have the event there. Well, Scott, you won't hear me say this very frequently on the show or outside of the show, but... <laughs> not even outside of the show. You nailed it. You nailed it, dude. Yeah, I think it could work. Now, look, there's... I might edit that out, by the way, in oh, post because be I don't bad. want... To be on record saying no, no, that you no, did a good the, job. The nature of spit is that there's no post. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's this right. is like this is rea- this is our own confessional. We're sort of in a confessional in a booth confessional. right now. You didn't say it um, on air. I didn't have the mics recording. I was Instagramming at the time. But we're in your car right now. It's we a truck. Locked, Thank you. Lo- yeah, it's a truck. Sorry. We got locked out of Serving Heritage and Culture Center. They told us they never want to see us again. And so we're sitting in the parking lot. Since so. our, our blow up two episodes ago, they're exactly. like, that's too much drama for this place. They're like, we had to clean up the blood, dude. It was right. a hassle. Yes. Uh, and it was just unsanitary. Right. Um, well, dude, I think you nailed it. So you synthesized what we've been talking about for four years and kind of brainstorming about and you just pulled it all together and that makes a lot of sense. I kind of did. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff we need to comb through and I'd like oh, to hear your comments on it. Specifically, like, you know, fiscally, how does it, like, if you go, okay, yeah, that's the perfect scenario, but is it fiscally, is it a business? You know, can we do this? Here's why it is. All the, you're eliminating a ton of cost, firstly, but secondly, the things that they're selling, which is, viewership online and eyeballs do you think anybody's going back and watching um round one heat four from rio or round or round three heat two like nobody's watching anything other than the quarterfinals on and even among that they're watching the highlights of it and so 
I mean, even you and I who are deep into it, who need to prepare for this show, I don't go back and watch Chopu from last year. Maybe I will go back and see who won and watch the highlight waves, but that's the maximum of it. So they're using 90 plus percent of the resources to film and to broadcast what 90% of people will never ever watch the first time, much less go back and watch a second time. So they need to kind of focus the 100% on the 10%, you know? And on the 10% of things that we're actually going to watch. And you synthesized a way to produce the 10% and to do it cheaper and do it better in better waves. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, that's I'm in. That's the hope, you know. I I agree with you too. I think you, you brought up the point last time about this we don't need to put seats on the beach. Mm -hmm. Like like it's an old model. Butts on the sand doesn't make sense. It's an old model. And dude. and there's and there's no need for it. Yeah. So you know What's um, interesting about this is you'll notice there's no Indo on here. Well, so I got a comment about that. Yeah. Do you want to go? or No, no, go ahead. Okay, so I watched some of the free surf sessions at Cloudbreak before the waves got big for this WSL event. Um, and it's a rippable left. And it's like, oh, my God, we need a rippable left on tour. We haven't ever had one, that, I, or we haven't had one in a very long time. And it highlights things that we've never seen like uh that we don't get to see throughout the course of the year like julian wilson's backside combo like maybe we'll see a couple of waves at a beach break um in france or portugal at that time of year or maybe he'll go left at lowers and get two or three sections but this is like eight sections you know or gabriel medina going left on a waist high wave that he can do 10 or 12 turns on. It really opened up a lot. It showed tremendous flaw, by the way, in Nat Young's frontside game. Like, Nat Young, he's not even on tour. He's a replacement this year. But I was watching him. I'm like, oh, my God. He looks kind of terrible. Like, his style, the way he's doing his turns, like, yikes. 
I'm not a big fan, but I love Nat Young when I watch him go right at Bell's Beach and Jay Bay, and then when I watch him get barreled at Cloudbreak when it's actually good, all that stuff. Like, I thought I loved Nat Young, and then this highlighted some major flaws in his game. So um, I just realized the need for a, a rippable left, which reminded me that last time you brought up macaronis. So I was like, bang, macaronis is the spot, and it's obviously Indo, which you just referenced. I think that would be the solution. Yeah, you know, the beautiful thing about macaronis is that the month of April we have an Australia focus. Um, it's not too far. It's I want to say it's five hours from Australia to Indo. Doable. Or less, maybe. It's probably less. So macaronis is doable. The thing with macaronis is there are some logistics issues with this with these places, which is why, for instance, you go, you say to yourself, and we said this last time, macaronis has got a resort. You could just set up shop on the resort. Well, now you're getting into T&E because if you're going to hold down that resort, first of all, they're not going to just kick everyone out when you decide to show up. People have people, their trips booked right. a year in advance. Exactly. And you can't book it for the whole month of May and just pay for it. Now you've gotten, yes. now you've gotten to the place fiscally where you don't want to be. So I'm not sure... Look, I was on a couple of trips with Surfer Magazine where we did a surf contest off of the boat. Mm-hmm. This It was in 2000, 2001, something like that. It was the, the Surfer OP. Uh, the OP Pro. Boat trip, yeah. Yeah, that was sick. You were on that? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, and we Rocky did. Rocky won it. Yeah. Bruce Irons. Bruce Irons, Andy Irons, Timmy Curran, um, Shane Dorian. Um, who else? Somebody else. Uh, anyway, it was a, it was, a sick trip. It was a cool trip. It was a cool trip, and um, those guys were ripping. And that's really when we discovered... We didn't discover Kandui, but we pulled up to Kandui, and it was pumping, and Martin Daly was kind of like, you know, we always look at this wave, but it always looks too fast, and we've had some guys try to get it, and it's, they always end up getting worked. Hmm. And But you get, you know, at that time, the top surfers in the world, and those guys just tore it up. And it was it was kind of the, the coming out party for Can Do It Left where people were like, hey, if you're a good surfer, this is an insane wave. Mm-hmm. And we just happened to get this four or five hour window where it was just mammoth. And between between heats, I got to paddle out. I surfed it with one other guy, a macking eight foot Can Do It Left. I and thought you don't go left. No, I go left if it's good. You go left at Can Do It. I'll it. go left if it's good. <laughs> no Can Do It. I generally don't go left, but if it's a good left, right. I'm going. When was the last time you went left, just for the record? Um, gosh. Oh, and probably in Del Mar a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Yeah, Del Mar right. Beach Break. Yeah. I'm shocked. No, Southwell. Anyway, back to Kandui. Yeah, so anyway, boat trip thing can happen with this tour, you know, but but it's a logistic nightmare kind of. And we're trying to we're trying to we can have the world's greatest surfers competing in the world's greatest waves without a legit. There's there's plenty of great waves that have logistic solutions, which we need to focus on. I agree. So real side note, I heard Aki talking about that OP boat trip. Yeah, he was saying before the finals or maybe even before the contest started all the competitors decided they would split the prize money and so aki ended up winning the event and he ended up going back to australia paid and got, all the taxes he got taxed on the full amount yeah which ended up costing him more than what he came home with yeah. so i think the event was like 30 grand for first place he got taxed on the 30k but came home with 5k yeah. owed 6k in taxes yeah. <laughs> it was like oh no i took a loss on this thing yeah yeah, I remember that. Classic. Yeah, and there was there was a girl there was a girls' division too. It was Lane Beach Lee oh, really? and um 
I would uh, say Rochelle Ballard. Rochelle was there, Megan yeah. Megan Abubo, maybe? Yeah, Megan Abubo and uh, one other. But that So that was a lot of fun, right? Serena because Brooke? Might have been Serena. There was all these um, Matt and Sam George there that were all, you know, Matt's quite a, you know. Lothario? Is that the word? Uh, that sounds like a good word. It's I don't a character, know. character, I think, from he, Shakespeare. Yeah, he's, he kind of would roam from tent to tent and. Find you know attempt Congress with a woman if it was appro- approachable and doable. <laughs> Do tell, dude. Spill I think beans. I've said all I need to say that that the George brothers, not Sam. Sam's actually, uh, although they're both you know known for um, their ability to charm. Mm. Let's just say that, and and uh, I think there was some charming going on. But I I could be wrong. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Although I just you did. Sh- you should. It makes for a better pod, dude. Right, but I don't need to make enemies. Those. The people that know that know, let's just let the listeners use their imagination. Fair enough. Um, well, I like it, Scott. The waves were so, fun during that trip. Were they? Yeah. I got, we got some good um, telescopes. Oh, I'm not supposed to name spots. Damn it. Dude, you did a great, you did a lot of work down in Mexico. The first yeah. 45 minutes of our show came from your Mexico. Um, you need to go on vacation more often, dude. You come to the show so prepared. Uh, for the record, I'm prepared 99.9% of the time. Who are you kidding, dude? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Are you kidding? I am. For what? For life? For, or the, for the show? show? No, for oh. the show. I come oh. prepared with takes and topics. Oh, okay. Okay. My sure problem, my concern was that I was being too honest. I would come to the show and just go, oh, shit, I don't have anything. Now I've learned I can't do that or it'll be used against me. Wait, so are you prepared opinion. or are you not? Because now you're saying... The answer saying, is yes. Okay. <laughs> prepared to... God anyway. forbid the listeners tear me a new one. Uh, that's part of the fun. Scott's when they tear you a new one, not me a new one. Uh, by the way, do we want to talk about Laird Hamilton on TMZ or is the story done? <laughs> I, I put it in my notes like two weeks ago, and now I'm kind of looking at it going, ah. The best thing about the Laird thing is that Healy came to his defense. Did you see that? I did, yeah. I thought that was interesting. Let me set the topic for listeners who are unaware. Laird Hamilton was getting into his truck in Malibu, and TMZ caught him. And they're like, hey, dude, there's tons of shark attacks uh, in Southern shark California. Shark sightings. Right, sightings, you're right. Um, people are really concerned about being bitten or specifically the question was, what are the odds of being bitten? And Laird, uh, basically the way that they pitched this article was Laird Hamilton says that women shouldn't go into the water when they're menstruating. That was the headline of the article. Laird's exact quote was, quote, the most common reason to be bitten is a woman with her period, end quote. So, I didn't really think the statement was that controversial. I'm shocked that like the internet goes crazy about stuff that is like a non-issue to me. Um, there doesn't seem to be any scientific evidence to support what Laird says. Like, there's well, how could there be? Well, you you find you research. You get a bunch of women that are no, menstruating no, no. and you put them in the water and no, see sharks attack. Them. He said the most common reason to be bitten is a woman with her period. So well, you would take all why the shark. Is that? Well, you would take all the shark attacks and then you would figure out among those people how many of them were menstruating. That's how you would do the research. But there doesn't seem to be that research done. However, Laird has spent a significant amount of time in the water in his life. So maybe he just has experience that leads him to believe that. I don't know. I don't know. But either way, it doesn't upset me. And either way, it doesn't feel sexist. It feels like, yes, blood Sharks are attracted to blood. That's indisputable. Thank so you. it would make sense 
that yeah, if, if you're, you're bleeding, introducing blood into the water, yeah. then that might be a, yeah, a cause for concern. Like yeah. it doesn't. No. Why is pe- why are people know. upset about it? I, be, you know, first because it's Laird. Second because he probably didn't wasn't as sensitive to. Um, I disagree. Read the the quote was the most common reason to be bitten is a woman with her period. That's not insensitive at all. Well, I think the better quote would have been, "Hey, look, we all know that sharks are attracted to blood. As far as I know, that's a known thing." And if you're introducing blood into the lineups, like you just said, then your odds are probably a little higher. Yeah. And there's at least one time a month when majority of the women are introducing blood. Um, and you know what? Thank God for it. We, we love the fact that, you know, women are are capable of producing children. You know, that's that's awesome. You know, like I don't spin think it. Even, somehow you got to spin it. Positive. I feel like you don't even I agree. need it's to. It's sad like, that you have it to. It really like, is. You got to go PC on the whole deal. It really is. I was like, everything, everything he said, like I said, I, I listened to it and I go, okay, well, he's not a scientist and he's, he's making a comment that it happens more frequently, but he's not a scientist and he's not claiming that there's scientific research. But the guy spent a tremendous amount of time in the water, so that does make him an expert, and he probably has an opinion about it. Done with that. It wasn't disparaging at all. No. One of my favorite things was Surfline reached out to a guy from the Shark Lab at Cal State University of Long Beach, and he said, quote, "Um, there's no scientific evidence that menstruating women are more likely to be bitten. There just isn't enough blood. Kids with scraped knees probably bleed more, end quote. And I thought to myself, that's not true. You know nothing about either vaginas or kids with scraped knees because you think one bleeds less than it does and the other bleeds profusely. Kids with a scraped knee doesn't it no. it's doesn't bleed. What are you talking about? Like so the one expert they went to on Surfline, I just feel like, well, he discredited himself completely, you know? Wow. Um, well Mark Healy back I, I I don't know exact I don't have Healy's exact quote, but there was I think the inertia or maybe it was um the bitchy or uh, beach grit. Okay. I don't know who it was, but somebody Got a immediately on. went to Healy and went, "What do you think?" And Healy's like, "You know what? I agree with Laird." <laughs> he more or less said, "I agree with Laird." Yeah. So, good. I well, thought that was kind of interesting, and it was cool that Mark's because it would have been the easy thing to go, "Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking well, I'm about." Staying away from it. Yeah. I don't even want to touch it. Right. No, I agree. And it's crazy. Like Lena Dunham commented on it. Like, Oh God. I know. That's how I felt too. I didn't even read what she said. I just saw that she had an opinion. I'm like, Oh God. She probably said something like, it's typical of an asshole misogynist like Laird Hamilton. I mean, she probably just went off on him. Yeah. I thought the whole thing is hilarious and like a sad state of affairs for where we're at. Oh God. Oh well. Yeah. What are you going to do? Speaking of sharks, I saw this morning that pro surfer, Kalani Rob, he's a pro surfer still, right? Sure. More or less. He and some buddies put yep. a fish on a fishing line attached to a drone yep. and flew it out to the sharks in San Clemente, the Great Whites, and and have footage of the sharks eating the fish that they have attached to their drone. Yep. And they sent up a second drone with it to shoot the fishing drone because obviously fishing drone's gonna yeah the fishing drone's gonna get sunk when the shark takes the bait uh i saw the video he posted it on instagram a couple days ago it made the news this morning did it yeah in san diego it was on the the morning news you know fascinating chumming for sharks with a drone yeah and 
obviously the lifeguards chimed in. They're like, well, this is not something we condone. Please don't do this. We've got uh, beachgoers are trying to keep them safe. I think he's trying to scare people away from lowers, probably. He does it at lowers. That so was it, kind of the vibe I was getting. Yeah. Like, why else would you do this? Other than it probably got a lot of hits. Yep. You know. Yeah, a lot of, a social lot of media environment, that's yeah. an important thing, dude. Yeah. Uh, what's your experience with sharks, by the way? You've surfed your whole life. I have seen, none. Have you ever seen a shark? I've never. I have seen small, little, small, two foot reef sharks at, in Fiji. Oh, okay. And I've seen a baby. One time, I picked up a baby great white out of the water at Cardiff Reef. Why would you do that? Because it was low tide. This thing was swimming around with us. It was a beautiful spring day, like April. Fun waves, super clear blue water, low tide. This little maybe two feet long baby great white shark is swimming around and it's kind of cute it's like a puppy it's 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 harmless right and it's and it's swimming around with all and we're catching waves and it's just hanging out in the lineup and it's it's just there and at some point it went into the river mouth area there it's probably to look for food where there's nutrients and i happen to finish a wave and it's just right next to me in literally like knee deep water or less shin high water and I'm like, oh, look at this thing. And so I just went down and grabbed its tail, picked it up, held it up. To and some lady on the beach, yeah, they're like, because everyone had seen it. And I'm like, yeah. look, I got it. And some lady on the beach took pictures of it. And um, I put it back down and it swam around with us for another hour and then swam up to Swami's. Whoa. So that's my experience. With- I would not have the impulse to pick it up. But secondly, I would be worried that the parents are somewhere. Well, here's the interesting thing, right? Sadly, about... A week, maybe eight days prior to that is when the um, the swimmer up in Solana Beach at Tabletops was attacked by an 18-foot great white shark. Wow. And lost his life. He was swimming with a group of swimmers, like triathlete types, and they were out there by Tabletops. And he was in the middle, which is interesting because sharks attack the middle. They never attack the fringes. And he got bitten severely on the leg, massive uh, femoral bleed out and died and um a week later this baby great white shark is is cruising around now the other fascinating not fascinating but maybe or maybe not interesting part of that story is when that attack happened life um sheriff's helicopters took off and they flew up and down the coast and at every surf spot they went over the surfers and hovered and they went there's been a fatal shark attack please get out of the water and they went up and down the coastline of san diego county doing that Hmm. i happened to be on a long distance paddle paddling outside the kelp at the time i was between swamis and tabletops and i'm a good 500 yards out on the other side of the kelp beds and I hear this helicopter. I'm like, what's going on? You know, and I can't really hear what they're saying at Swami's. They see me and they jam out to me, hover over me and go, there's been a fatal shark attack. Please come in right away. And then they take off. And I'm like, great. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> there's been a fatal great white shark attack. And they just leave me. And so I scurried with my paddle between my tail. And So you did actually take heed their advice and get out of there? Yeah, I think I went inside of the kelp beds and just paddled, paddled down to Cardiff and got out. You know, it, and then I was get, on duty. I'm sorry to interrupt, but well, once you get spooked like that, you can't shake it out of your head. Like I've been surfing, like in Baja, let's say, where there's nobody really out and around, and it just feels creepy. Once you get that little creep sensation, now every wave that you duck dive, you're envisioning a shark opening its mouth and just in, 
enveloping you, like eating you, you yeah. know, whole. Yeah. And um, you can't shake it. And then it's just like, I got to get out of here, like as quickly as possible, get on dry land. Um, so I've also surfed since I was like 12 years old. I've never seen a shark, dude. And I'll run into people who are like, oh, I saw a shark last weekend. And I always am very critical where I'm like, dude, you don't surf that much. And I surf that spot all the time and I've never seen one. It probably was a dolphin, which I do see dolphins every single day. Um, but I did. I, I think I might have told this po- this story on the podcast a couple of years ago when it happened. But I was surfing like a uh, twilight session right before the actually after the sun went down and there was still a little bit of light and there was only two other guys out it was in Huntington and they both scrambled for like this tiny little wave like this knee high I was sitting out the back waiting for like it was probably like shoulder high or something and I see these guys scramble together for like a knee high wave and I was just like that's weird there's nobody out they should just wait for a good one why'd they go together you know whatever. And so then within like a minute, a good one came and I surfed it to the beach and I got to the beach and they were standing there and they're like, dude, did you see that shark? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? They're like, that's why we scrambled out of there. We saw this shark pop up like 15, 20 yards beyond you and just hover for a minute. The fin just hovered and didn't move. And then in a split second darted straight at you. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They're like, no, we got, and we, we freaked and we bailed. And in my head, of why course, I'm they, thinking, thanks for yeah. telling me, you know? Yeah, why didn't they scream and at you? I don't know why they didn't, but he goes, it was clearly chasing something. We thought it was chasing you. It was probably a fish, but it, like I said, it just came up, sat there, and then went zero to 60 instantly right. and then disappeared. And I was oblivious. I must have been looking the opposite direction or something, but they were, and these guys were actually good enough surfers to where i knew they didn't mistake it for a shark when it was actually a dolphin it was probably a shark so that was my only encounter but again i didn't even see the thing you know so i can't actually say that i've ever seen a shark in the water but that did spook me and it made me realize too i was like shoot i didn't even tell anybody that i went surfing that session i just like went after work just to if that thing tagged me Nobody would have known. Like, how long until somebody would have been like, hey, David didn't show up for work or David didn't whatever, you know? Yeah. Like, I would have been, or a body part rolls up on the beach, you know? Yeah, it's weird. I think when sharks, I don't don't think sharks want to eat us. I think they think we're other food. Because the the general vibe is they come, they chew on you, and then they go, oh, that's not for me. It's just a bone. And they spit you out. By that time, unfortunately, he got your femoral artery and you're done. You We're bleed not. out. If they want to eat you, they won't find you. But They'll eat you. <laughs> here's the thing. That doesn't make me feel any better. No, I know. You know I mean? No, I know. It's actually kind of worse in a weird... No, maybe not. I, know, I don't know. It's equally bad. The point is they're out there and you can still get eaten. Accidental yes, or not. You're in the food chain. I appreciate that they're not malicious. That's yeah, nice. they're just doing their thing. It's good to know they're not like, that guy's a dick. I listen to his podcast. <laughs> I don't appreciate what he said about sharks. Oh, my God. Taking him out. I did, I, I did see a shark one time, but I wasn't surfing. I was um, two times. One time between Catalina, I was, going to, I was going to sixth grade camp, and they used to take us out to Catalina Island, Camp Fox, with the YMCA. Between Long Beach and Catalina, we saw a hammerhead. And then another time, I was sailing between Cape Verde Islands and Spain. Or, yeah. Anyway, I was sailing in Europe somewhere. And we saw a, a big hammerhead. I've seen hammerheads twice, mm. just from the boat. 
It's fine if they're out there in the Atlantic. I don't ever go there. Right. I don't ever go surf there. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry to the listeners who live near Cape Verde. Um, here's what's shocking, Scott. This has been the last the last since we last recorded. There's been more deaths in the surf world than I don't think than we've ever had in a two week period of recording this show. It's been tragedy has struck. Yeah, I know. It's been it's been. At least two, right? Well, three? I've got three. And then Greg Allman, your man. Oh, yes. Greg Allman. He's not in the surf community, but... No, but he could be. He's a, bro- he's a brother in arms. <laughs> he's like, a brother yeah. in arms. No, that's sad. Greg Allman had hepatitis C, and um, he was 69 years old, and that was definitely a bummer. I was lucky enough to see him last year. I saw him at the Belly Up Tavern in Solana Beach, and that was a great show. And Yeah, but let's talk surf. I mean... so. You want me to tell? So, yeah. uh, John Severson, right, founder of Surfer Magazine. I uh, can I read a little bit about John yes, from yes. Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing. Please do. I think he's he's due this segment of the show. You know, like yes. we need to give him his thorough due. Yes, he's an important figure in surfing. Yes. He was the founder of Surfer Magazine, but he was born in 1933 in Los Angeles, the son of a gas station owner, actually. And he began surfing at 13 when his family moved to San Clemente, which is where Scott and I sit in this moment. John received his bachelor's degree in art education from Chico State College in 55 and a master's in um, art education from Long Beach State College, which is actually where I went. Uh, Severson's paintings and sketches from this time have been called the original surf art. And after being drafted into the army in 1956, Severson was stationed in Honolulu and was assigned to the army surfing team. Surf, his debut film came out in 1958 while he was still in the military. Surf Safari was another film that followed in 1959 and surf fever came out in 1960, which him, Among with a group of surf filmmakers, Bruce Brown, Greg Knoll, and the genre originator, Bud Brown, basically toured those films up and down California's coast from Santa Cruz to San Diego, which was really kind of the way that you introduce films to the public back in that day. So his movie, his movies were real. If you haven't seen them, they're similar to other films of that era where they're kind of free of plot, but they're just showcasing wave writing with maybe a couple short comedy routines in between. Um, but his handbills and posters that he created for the show were created by him from his original artwork. So really kind of just a one-stop shop. And in 1960, he produced a 36 page horizontally formatted magazine for one of those films, Sir Fever, which was kind of the groundwork for what would then become Surfer Magazine. It all led up to that. So he published four editions of that magazine in 1961. He called it Surfer Quarterly. And the magazine steadily grew from issue to issue. And it was really a one-man show with Severson doing all of the editing and much of the writing, the photography and the design work. He layer hired a number of people who became surf media icons, including cartoonist Rick Griffin, photographers Ron Stoner, Jeff Devine, and Art Brewer, Writer, editors, Drew Campion and Steve Pesman, who went on to found the Surfer's Journal, and graphic designer John Van Hammersveld and Mike Salisbury. In 1971, he sold the magazine and moved to Maui with his wife and two daughters, and for the most part, just returned to painting, sketching, and surfing. His art would eventually be sold in galleries in the U.S., Japan, and Europe, 
And there was a book published in 2003, which was kind of a retrospective of Severson's work called Surf Fever, named after his film. And um, yeah, in 2011, he received a Lifetime Achievement Award from at the Surfer Magazine poll. And he continued to surf all the way up until the age of 80. He ended up dying of leukemia on Friday, Friday, June 2nd at the age of 83. Yeah, great, great read. And um, I'm just trying to, you know, he lived a full life. And I don't think, you know, the one thing I remember as a kid was the way I was introduced to surfing was by the magazines. The magazines got me hooked when I was like 10 or 11 years old. Both of them, surfing, international surfing, I think it was at the time. Maybe it was surfing. And, of course, Surfer, which was the Bible of the sport. Mm -hmm. And um, I just remember waiting for that magazine to come into the mailbox. And it was a big-ass deal. Like, it was a huge deal. And... um, and that was not my, I was not the only one with that experience. That was the experience of hundreds of thousands of surfers around the world waiting for that magazine to drop in their mailbox. It was the preeminent media outlet. Like they're obviously in a time before the internet and even before short surf films like we have now. There was long feature length surf films, but even those were very hard to access. So that magazine was pure gold, you know? It was. And of course I worked at Surfer Magazine for eight years and the couple of times that Severson um walked through the halls as a visitor after he had sold the magazine, you know, fifteen, twenty years prior, um, it was like the Pope, you know, like everyone just dropped their shit, stood up. It was it was, you know, it you know, it wasn't it was very much a big deal in the offices. You knew when he was coming and everyone was on their best behavior. And, um, of course, he was a super cool guy. But there was certainly a sense of reverence about his visit. What I love about him is just that he's a he's an artist, you know? Like, he's a complete artist who was able to gather all that creativity and organize it into a fashion that... Um, he was able to pump out those magazines for a number, like consistently. Like that's the thing as an artist, not that I'm speaking as an artist, but as an artist, that's the dilemma is being able to actually systematically produce your work into a way that is palatable and receivable to an end audience. It's easy to just be abstract and write song lyrics, but never actually produce the song, you know, and produce consistent albums. So he was a guy who was able to um, harness that talent and put it out there in a way that everybody got to see it and benefit from it. so, And then take a break from it, sell it, and then just go produce art again, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he, he had a great life. And um, I know that this Friday there'll be a paddle out at Doheny. Yeah. I think it's at 10 a.m. Is that right? I'm not sure Time on the timing, but yeah. Um, that just came out yesterday. So if you're in Southern California and you want to celebrate the life of an extremely influential man, John Severson, Doheny State Beach... I believe 10 a.m. this Friday, which would be June 7, 8, 9, June 9. So, yeah, sad to see that news. But 83, lived a full life. Leukemia, probably not a good way to go. But I'm sure But he surfed up until the last three years, which means he was in relatively good health. Yes. He to surf. Yes. Um, The other major death in the surf community was Jack O'Neill, actually on the same day. Whoa. Yeah, and Jack O'Neill died at age 94. Wow. So you can't be sad about that. He lived a good life. And Jack O'Neill, obviously, inventor of the wetsuit. 
the O'Neill brand. Um, the leash, or at least... His, I heard his son. I looked that up. I guess his son invented the leash, technically. Maybe. Yeah. But Jack O'Neill lost his eye to it. Oh, is that the connection? Yeah. The eyeball patch is because of the leash came back and hit him in the eye, took his eye out. <laughs> that is the ultimate irony. Yeah. His son invented the leash, and the leash took his eye out. Yeah, what I'm reading is that he and his son together invented the leash, but I don't... You know, that's yeah. that's that's nitpicking, isn't it, to re- refer to Spinal Tap? Um, wow, I did not know that. I always wondered. He, the guy is a badass. Like, in terms of just like a um, an eye, like a a visual kind of look, he was radical looking. He looked like a pirate. He was a proper pirate in the modern age, um, with a big beard, bushy hair, living up in the you know, Santa Cruz, kind of a frigid, rugged environment. And then an eye patch dude's radical. Yeah. He was, uh, quite the, he had quite the look, you know, there's no yeah, doubt about it. And a little bit of a pirate vibe going there for sure. Yeah. yeah I'm a huge fan. So well, we're saddened by the peace. loss of those three individuals. Um, yeah, I'm reading here that O'Neill lost his side of his left eye in 71 after his leash tethered surfboard, snapped back and hit his face. The surf leash, ironically, had been invented the year before by Pat O'Neill, Jack's son. There you go. So, yeah. That is super ironic. Uh, By the way, that is a very dangerous thing that can happen to anybody. I had that exact thing happen. Um, Either wiped out or kicked out of a wave and, like, the leash hyperextends, which creates a rubber band effect. And I, I was, like, turning to look back towards the beach where the board was. And as I was turning the thing hit me in the side of the head right at my earlobe and split my earlobe in half. Oh my. Yeah. It was Thanksgiving morning, like maybe 10 years ago. And, um, it felt like a punch to the head because right behind your earlobe is your skull. And so it felt just like a punch to the skull. And I was immediately like kind of debilitated by the blow and held my hand up to my head and was just like, Oh, I just felt the the pressure. I didn't know it was a laceration. And as I was holding it, trying to like recover for a second, I then looked at my hand and there was blood everywhere. And I'm like, uh-oh. And I was surfing with my buddy Grant, who you know, Grant Ramey. Yeah. Remember him? Yeah. And, um, and I look at Grant and I'm like, dude, how bad is it? And he like, his eyes get all wide and he's like, we should probably go. And so like, <laughs> we're on the beach walking and it was like this long stretch, of, like super long beach. And um, we're walking up the beach and he kind of keeps glancing over at it. And he's like, we should probably jog up the beach. And as we were jogging, I could feel the earlobe like flapping in the wind. And it was, I just, I ended up going to urgent care and having to get it stitched up. And I showed up, of course, late to Thanksgiving at my dad's house with my ear all stitched up, still wearing the clothes from surfing that morning because I had to go straight to my dad's from the urgent care and I had blood all down the shoulder of my shirt while I was sitting at Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) It was pretty radical. Nice. Nice look. Yeah. So, but that always made me aware, like when you feel that tension on your foot, give into it, like don't fight it and pull your leg back. Let it pull your leg and stay underwater for an extra like 10 seconds. Yeah. You know, cause it's dangerous. Good advice. Yeah. Although I wouldn't mind having an eye patch at this point. If that was the result. You could get an ear patch. Ooh. Yeah, not as cool. (laughs) Not as cool with the ladies, I don't think. Remember that footage of Tom Curran surfing in, actually, he was down in mainland Mexico, and he had socks on his ears to cover his 
the sun. So he had the, the socks drooping. He looked like a little puppy dog with like wet yeah, hair. Yeah, he had a safari hat and then the socks attached to that. Yes, it was crazy and good look. he was look. wearing pants. And he only wore that outfit when he rode the the little skimboard boogie board thing. I like, think it was prior to the skim. It was a boogie. Yeah, it was a boogie. Was it was. standing on the boogie. It was. He was standing on a boogie. And then when he went surfing on his normal board, he had a whole different outfit. Like he specifically had an outfit for the boogie. This guy's our hero, dude. He is. There's nobody better than that, Tom Kern. I am sorry. That guy is the ultimate wave dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag wave dancer. Hashtag wave so, dancer. I, I got to say, I saw that footage and immediately I questioned everything I knew about Tom Curran. I was like, wait <laughs> a second. I might have to just reevaluate this guy because that is a ridiculous outfit. And then I saw him stand up on the boogie and shred and I go, well... I guess I'm going to be buying socks for my ears now and wearing <laughs> pants in the lineup because right. I am clearly wrong. And I need to reevaluate all of my fashion choices now because this guy is the ultimate badass. I'm sure the product of development team at Stance Socks is like, oh, my God, we are we are legit. All right, guys. Boardroom meeting Monday. We're developing so- ear socks. Yes. Here we go. And I actually saw Tom here. We're at the Serving Heritage and Culture Center. Saw him here last year um, doing a thing. And he was drinking a Pepsi and it made me laugh. I was like, I don't know any other adult who drinks Pepsi and especially out of a can, but you don't No, Why is that random? I don't know, dude. Do we, is soda a part of like your regular life? Not me personally. No, Not me I don't either, drink right? sugar drinks. But... That's what I'm saying. I don't know anybody really that's drinking soda at this point as an adult. But I've had a Pepsi when, when you and I have done the show, I've drank a Pepsi. When okay. I've... I'm just saying it, it was Pepsi's not that far off the norm. Here's the thing. I expected a beer or a bottle of water. Right. And I would have even been okay with like, I don't know, a sand (laughs) But What if it was like a Jones Cola? I was like, just something like niche and cool. Right. The fact that he's drinking a Pepsi just made it so weird, but also so Tom. I was like, I I guess I got to start drinking Pepsi now. He knows something I don't know. And I'm a huge fan. So... Yeah. That's the power of advertising, by the way. That's why uh, companies hire LeBron James and pay him millions of dollars because me just seeing him do that made me want a Pepsi. You're going going Pepsi on us, thanks to Kern. Yeah. Anyway, what else you got, Scott? That's all I have. Well, I got must-see moment, Duke and Kook and all that. Should I go straight into it? Yes. My must-see moment, Michelle Berez's stall. Oh, my God. That's my must-see moment. Well, thanks. Thanks for biting. Like you said earlier in the show, you just bite off other people's. Uh, <laughs> no, but that's, that's everybody's must-see moment. Dude, that's pretty rad must-see moment. Yeah, ridiculous. that's ridiculous. So cool. You want to explain it? No, no, go ahead. I'm sure you've got it. Well, um, cloud break was pumping. We didn't even talk about it yet, but the Fiji Pro is taking place. We're finished round one and round two. And Michel Berez, in his heat, got like a pretty sick eight to ten foot barreling wave. And while he was pig-dogging in the barrel, it opened up before he went into the second section. So we got a glimpse of what he was doing in the barrel. And pig-dogging, meaning he was backside holding the rail, but he made an adjustment to it. He took his back foot off of the surfboard and dragged it in the wave's face while he was on this freight train. So he had his left hand dragging in the wave which is a way to slow down but he then additionally picked up his back leg and dragged that in the wave so he only had two points of contact on the board his front foot and his right arm holding on to the rail and his left arm and his back legs were stalling his right foot was 
using as a brake in the wave face and on he an was, eight foot freight train. And he was kind of letting in and out of the back foot brake too. It wasn't just like slamming it on. He kind of adjusted it as it went. Yeah. It's amazing. So it was a back leg stall. Uh, it was ridiculous. Even the commentators in the booth, Ronnie Blakey and Rosie Hodge at the time. That's right, Rosie. Tripped. Yes. They were watching it. They're going, oh, he's getting barreled. He's going to come out. Wait, what? What? What's he doing? Oh, my gosh. He's using his leg to stall. And then he got blown out. They're like, that was insane. I've never seen that before. They both had never seen it before. They were tripping. Yeah. So it was really radical. That's the musty moment. Um, Michel Perez, in his post-heat interview, wasn't that... He was, like, shocked that they were impressed by it. He goes, oh, no. He's like, I do that all the time at Chopu. Like, when I want to slow down and my arm isn't slowing me down enough, I use my leg. He was like, oh, yeah, no biggie. Kelly Slater was later interviewed um, in the wrap-up at the end of the day. He said that he saw it at Makaha in 1992 by a guy, and they called it the Allen Wrench. And so I don't know if that surfer's name was Alan or maybe his last name was Wrench or maybe his name was Alan Wrench. I don't know. Why would you call it an Alan Wrench? I don't know. If he's at Makaha, I'm sure his name had, was probably like Bird Bird Boy or Buddy Boy. Or Alan Wrench, maybe? I don't know. So Kelly needs to elaborate on that, but he did see it in 92 at Makaha. I actually saw somebody in the comments section, maybe on Stab or something, mentioned that they saw Ryan Turner doing it in Indonesia, I think they said, which jogged a memory for me. I've actually seen Ryan Turner do it as well in Huntington on big days in the wintertime on Southside. There's like a left against the pier that runs barrels straight into the pier. And I might actually have video footage of it. I'm going to need to dig it up. But on those big barreling days, nobody can even make the paddle out. There's a couple of Huntington dudes, Ryan Carlson, Tom Resvin, um, and then, of course, Ryan Turner, who just charges. You will you won't see him surf for a year, and then you'll see him show up at the wedge and get the best waves of the day. Just charging. And he'll be riding like a seven-foot board. Um, and so I do remember seeing Ryan Turner doing that as well on double overhead waves at the pier. So it's been done. But even when I saw Michelle Perez doing it, I had kind of forgotten that I had seen it in the past. So, but it's radical, super technical, super technical. So it's got a name too. That's kind of cool. It's the Allen Ranch. Well, according to Kelly. Well, that's good enough for me. <laughs> it's good enough it for needs me a too. name. Let's give it one that Kelly suggests. It's <laughs> a good point. They came out of Makaha in 92. Yeah, that's like, a good I'm point. not going to argue that. <laughs> Fair enough, Scott. Fair enough. You're making a, a compelling argument. <laughs> the Allen Ranch. Done. Yeah. So um, I will say also um, the women's Fiji Pro, we need to touch on that. Courtney Conlog beat Tatiana Weston Webb in that event. And they ran most of the event in marginal surf and then decided to hold off on the final. And they actually went past the women's waiting period and ended up running it in the men's waiting period, knowing that there was this amazing swell coming. So they ran it in 8 to 10 foot cloud break, which, um, you know, basically put the women to test like Courtney and Tati had to charge out there and they did charge. They ended up Courtney winning the event without really getting barreled, which was a little bit of a, I don't know that an asterisk that needs to be put on that final. It was a low heat scoring final. I think she won with like a 10 point um, total. Courtney opted to try to do turns Tatiana opted to try to get barreled, which she did. She just didn't make any of the waves. And this is what I really want to discuss. This isn't to shame the women or to say 
I, I think it's also not to um, patronize the women and be like, oh, they charged when they ended up winning the event with a 10-point heat total. I don't think that's right to do either. So I'm going to call it out where I see it, and that is, yes, they charged. Yes, Tati picked off barreling waves and pulled into them. But the point of difference between the men and the women is she's not navigating the barrel. She's pulling into the barrel and she's charging, but she's not navigating and threading. So when you watch Michelle Berez not only navigating, but doing this super technical backside drag, foot drag, and then feathering the throttle while he's in the barrel, that is the point of difference. So it's great that we're on this point of watching the women surfing evolve at this really high level and we're putting them in these situations that allow them the opportunity to evolve but we're gonna need to see you thread the barrel like no doubt tati can pull into perfect cloud break and get tubed and come out she won the gopro uh entry last year for doing that at big cloud break but it was a little bit of a sketchy day where it was very big but it wasn't perfect so what we need to see is you pulling into the imperfect wave feathering the throttle, driving through the barreling sections, stalling when it's perfect, driving when it's not, and pulling up high and coming out of the almond part of the barrel when it calls for it. That's what we're going to need to see. Well, good commentary. And th- that wave requires that you that you turn in the tube to make it out. Right. There's one section that's guaranteed just stand there, but for the most part, you do have to turn your board in the tube to, as you say, sort of... Uh, Negotiate. Yeah. Well, moving on to Kook and Duke, my Kook of the week is a 19-year-old girl driving under the influence who hit and killed surfboard shaper Paul Burke. Wow, that's so sad. That's it, such a bummer. I did see this. It's such a bummer, dude. Yeah. I mean, so Paul Burke, 59-year-old um, surfboard shaper who's, I think, living in Oceanside for kind of main part of his life or adult life anyways raising his family and stuff but he was 59 years old he was actually from long beach california which is where i was born it's where dane reynolds was born brett simpson we're all born in the same hospital greatness comes out of long beach <laughs> memorial hospital scott in case you're unaware i'm sure it does tim stamps still lives in long beach okay, you've mentioned one shaper. one great guy tim stamps no. what do you got against what do you got against dane dude Come on. nothing dane too that's two great guys oh and you that's three <laughs> no love for simple i guess anyways Um, I love Simpa too. That's four. There you go. So Paul Burke, surfboard shaper, was riding his bicycle um, outside his home when, like, he was a cyclist, actually. So it wasn't just he was on his beach cruise or cruising. He was actually a cyclist who regularly rode his bike to stay fit. He competed on the ASP. He started surfing shapeboards in the 80s in Laguna Beach, built boards for Brad Gerlach, a bunch of guys. He's just a lifelong surf community dude. And... He was hit by a 19-year-old driver who was under suspected to be under the influence. So this is kook of the week is the driver. This is my PSA. Do not drive under the influence, folks. Whether it's drugs, whether it's uh, prescription medication, whether it's alcohol, whether it's texting while driving. Like, it's so sad that when you see these stories, they're completely avoidable, and it's just senseless. It really is senseless. It's so sad. Dude's just riding his bike gets clipped by a 19 year old yeah that's a bummer man when you're that young you don't understand the gravity of the situation um and we were all that age it's just to have such a senseless and life-changing thing happen is 
tragic. It sure is. I'm going to go out on a high note, though, with my Duke of the Week. I have two Dukes. Fabio Contu and Troy Joner. Troy uh, Joner. This happened on Wednesday of last week, May 31st. They were flying from Melbourne to Neos. And according to Troy, 10 minutes after takeoff, a passenger on the plane stood up and refused to sit down. He ran down the aisle and towards the cockpit cockpit with a device he claimed to be a bomb. He was going to blow up the flight with these two Melbourne-based surfers on their way to Neos. So Troy said, he told the Sentinel, he goes, quote, we sat there stunned at what we had just heard. I could see the panic starting to set in with the other passengers, and I could hear the cabin crew talking in a different language with panic in their voice. We were scared that there was a bomb on the plane and the man was going to blow us up. We both feared for our life. So a female stewardess placed herself in front of the man and the presumed-to-be bomber, and he actually charged right past her. So I got up, I grabbed him by the neck, I put him into a chokehold, and my buddy, Fab, was right behind me, and he grabbed the passenger around the torso and wrestled him to the ground. I saw a black device about 40 centimeters around and six inches in height. I ripped it off of his chest and passed it to a nearby passenger. (laughs) Other passengers jumped up and helped secure the man's leg, and... um, the cabin crew showed up with cable ties and we fastened it to his arms and his back and fastened him to the frame of a seat. The captain turned the plane around for an emergency landing back in Melbourne. At this point, the fear wasn't over. Even though he was fastened to the seat, the crew and the passengers all believed there was still a bomb on the plane. Turns out it was all a hoax and it was a fake bomb, but the guy was nuts. And so uh, again, um, was he an Troy, Aussie national, the bomber guy? I don't know. But Troy said, quote, although since we've learned it was all a hoax, the trauma and the stress are all very real for everyone who is on board. So uh, now we just want to go surfing, end quote. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out Fabio Conto and uh, Troy Joner. That's for cool. Diffusing a hectic, hectic situation on their way to Neos. That's a good story for sure. I love it. Yeah, Dukes of the Week. Um, sadly, the um, Owen and Gabe are out of the event. I know, it is sad. Remember we were arguing last last show about which one we should keep on our team? We both kept Owen? Yep. They so, were actually both on my team. So. Oh, you you were trying to like BS me so, really that so that your team could... <laughs> trying to smoke screen you. Yeah. But yeah, tragic. Uh, Owen lost... I don't know actually who Owen lost to. I forget, but uh, Gabriel lost to Idolo Ferrer, who was also on my team, so I'm okay with that. Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, look. Um, it feels like a, we had a good show. Sure feels that way. We're going to... I'll um, go out on the Almond Brothers Blue Sky, Blue Sky. in honor of Greg Play Allman. it all. Play the whole song. Play the whole seven This is the seven greatest... anthem, right? I think it's about five minutes. It might be seven. But this is the greatest... I think surf film song ever like if you could although it was never in a surf film no but it would be great <laughs> let me rephrase that help me out david this song should There's be no used helping. in a quick seven minute edit of like craig anderson rob machado tom curran and where? dave rostovich where desert point Ooh. Threading, threading barrels, yeah, blue under, sky, yeah, like under sea level barrels, like with some maybe some artsy camera, like some film, you know, like some artsy 
16 mil. Yeah, I exactly. Like I need a little of that grainy vibe going down. I like it. Some of that. I could see it right now. Yeah. Um, brothers, sing us out. All right. Well, until next time, we're looking forward perhaps today, the Fiji Pro runs. Uh, outer known Fiji Pro, we should say. And um, yeah, until next time, adios and aloha. <laughs> <laughs>